All right, guys, welcome to Property Profits Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bryce Kaminsky, filling in for Dave Dubow. And if you've ever felt stuck in real estate analysis paralysis, haven't we all to some degree? Now, today, Rhett Wilger shares how he went from Airbnb and pad split to crushing it in the direct-to-seller deals. Wondering how to break free from the MLS maze? Rhett's got the key. Welcome to the show, Rhett. Oh, thank you so much for having me on, and thank you for the nice introduction. Um, I think the hey. the crushing it portion might might be uh, strong verbiage, but I'm glad that I have moved out of that analysis paralysis phase, which I think gets everyone at some point when you first get started. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you just got to jump in the pool. My my family is constantly on me about. I'm the guy who stands around the pool and spends like five minutes deciding whether I want to get in, and then I can't, and then I don't want to get out. Um, I definitely will dip my feet in and I'll stand on the diving board and it'll almost become a thing. Everyone's watching like, is he going to get in the damn pool? So um, yeah, analysis paralysis, deciding should I get in or shouldn't I, or should I do this or shouldn't I? And sometimes um, what's the worst you're going to get wet. So get in the pool. Uh, I, I think, I think crushing and direct to seller deals is important because you, you mentioned that you started um, historically you'd been buying um you know, directly from MLS and things like that, but you've started to transition mostly to finding your own deals. Is that correct? Yeah, I did. And um, to address the analysis paralysis thing a little bit too, I think I have a little bit of a different slant on it um, than maybe a lot of people. You know, you hear, um, if you listen to all the YouTubes and the podcasts and all the gurus and they basically jump in and say, hey, you know, just, just go for it. Just get your first deal done. Just do it. Right. And I think that's true. I mean, at a certain point, you just have to pull the trigger and do it. But mm -hmm. I think a lot of it really just depends on your personality type. Right. If you're an analytical person and a numbers person, per se, like myself, and you value your capital. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Especially on your first couple of deals, you just want to make sure that you're going in the right thing. And one of the beautiful things about real estate, of course, is that there's so many different avenues. So when you're first starting out and you're trying to figure out, well, do I want to do a flip? Do I want to do a lease option? Do I want to do a buy and hold? Am I just trying to wholesale days? There's so many different ways to do it. And I think realistically, most people, well, I shouldn't say that. I know for me, at least, let's just talk about myself. Um, I had I couldn't really jump in and do that first one until I really felt like I had a good grasp on what these different topics were and where they're going to fit my personality type and did they give me the type of returns that I want. So if you're one of those people out there who is going through that, cut yourself a little bit of slack. Yeah. It's fine. Learn what you need to learn. But yes, 100%, eventually you will need to just pick something and go for it and dive in. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of times I spend um, with new investors. My first question always is like, yes, you want to get into real estate good starting point but why and then it's like because i want to make money and it's like but why well because i want to quit my job okay but why and when you actually go down that that questioning line because a lot of people will stop at like i want to get into real estate and they'll pick any strategy but really matching the strategy of what you're doing to what you want real estate to do for you i think is going to become you know, ultimately more, most successful because you might get, let's say you decide to get into flips and you're like, actually, I hate this. And now you're in five flips and you, you didn't actually take the time to figure out like what you don't want. I think that's most important because people are really excited about what they do want in this life, 
but they rarely take into account like what they don't want. Oh, I want a Ferrari, but do you, do, do you yeah. actually want the insurance bill? Like, did you do the math? You know, like, so really figuring out what you don't want in this life is as I think as important or more important than what you do. So what is it that you figured out you wanted, Brett? I mean, I, I think you brought up a really good point. I've gone down that path and I, I thought I knew what I wanted when I first started, you know, when we started out, my wife and I have been dabbling in real estate for years and I grew up with my father, um, not flipping houses, but he was a contractor and helping him fix up houses and things like that. So I've always appreciated real estate. Uh, we've always, when we look back on our financial history, the wife and I, we've always kind of had our biggest home runs, if you want to call it that, in in real estate. Mm -hmm. And so we got more serious about it really the past couple of years and diving in. And so I went through that analysis paralysis phase. And then you get to the point where you're like, well, I, I'm not doing this full time. I still had a, uh, you know, a I wasn't doing real estate full-time. I still had a full-time job, you know, nine to five, like most people. And so if you're doing that direction, you know, it's a lot easier to just try to find deals off the MLS or build relationships with, uh, you know, good agents, um, mm -hmm. maybe try to build networks with the uh, wholesalers and et cetera. And I was doing really everything that I possibly could not to go direct to seller myself because it is a whole nother business. It's a whole nother job. So we started, we started doing it that way. We bought, we found uh, our first, we, we bought our first kind of an Airbnb off of MLS. I bought another deal off of MLS. That's a co-living property um, in Orlando. It's a pad split. If you've ever heard of those before. Yeah. Um, and what you got a couple of those under your belt and you're like, okay, it actually works, right? <laughs> it's actually working. The numbers actually worked out. The spreadsheet was pretty close, right? And you're like, okay, well, now it's trying to let, let's do this. Let's scale more of them. Um, and then uh, you realize that if you're going to scale in the normal way off the MLS, you're going to have difficulty finding those ones with equity. Very difficult to find. I feel like, at least in my experience, wholesalers that were trustworthy and honest and, you know, we're putting good deals out there and et cetera. So that's always a challenge also. So at a certain point, I just decided, I'm like, okay, if I'm really going to do this, if this is going to be a full-time gig, which it is now, at a certain point, you just have to drop the hammer and just start going some doing the direct-to-seller stuff yourself. And as soon as I started doing that, uh, that's when really, and that's really just been the past few months, that's when really things have really started to take off a little bit. And I'm, it's very difficult and very time-consuming. Um, I would say, but worth it. worth it for sure. It's uh, I think it's the only way to go long term if you're going to be serious about it. Well, and I, and I would always say that you know, running the local wholesaling uh, club here in town, I would say you know, people that are in that like professional or semi-professional, like flipping, um, or even acquisitions, like they're not buying from us. Why is that? Cause they're already doing the same work we're doing. Like we're competing with them for these properties. It's the people without time that wholesalers um, are facilitating. Cause we would go out and spend our time to bring a deal to the market. But once you break that nine to five and you're running your own business um, and you're looking for something very specific, like you are, it makes total sense to take control of your acquisitions pipeline and go hunting. You know, and, and not just wait for a wholesaler to bring you maybe what you're looking for. Maybe the numbers are inflated. Maybe there's things they're hiding, like go out and get it. And, you know, that's really, I think when you know you're approaching uh, full time or, or running the businesses that you're now doing the acquisition. So what kind of success or 
challenges have you had growing into the, um, you mentioned reluctant wholesaler. So you're finding stuff, That's you got to move stuff, but what, what kind of challenges did you have at first and maybe still can having as you manage your own acquisitions now where you're buying, uh, building your own market essentially? Sure. No, absolutely. There's uh, such a steep learning curve when you dive in and start actually, you know, doing it yourself from uh, making sure you have the right software that you want to use as far as your follow-up and your CRMs. And uh, I think it is an organizational nightmare in the beginning. Like if you want to do it, if you want to do it well and you don't want to do it clean, you want to be, and uh, you want to be professional about it, you sure as heck better get your ducks in a row and get organized with it. So I think a little bit of a challenge for me in the beginning to, you know, get all my forms and my, uh, my, operating procedures, you know, my SOPs and my SOGs kind yeah, of all laid out. I was just going to say your SOP, yeah, standard. Yeah, and, you know, tracking you your KPIs doing- and doing proper follow-ups and, and you know, finding uh, um, assistants that are, uh, that do what you want them to do and stay on task and get stuff done. Like, you know, all those normal things, I think from starting any business um, that you have to um, get done right. But I think once you get those things locked down, those are the challenges that at least I've had in the beginning. And once you got start getting those locked down, then it kind of starts to smooth itself out. And you mentioned reluctant wholesaler, which I, that's, you're right. That's what I call myself, right? I, I'm just the guy out there that's trying to keep every deal he can possibly find, right? I'm just trying to, I'm a buy and hold investor um, and trying to scale that portfolio. But there's certain things that either, I've maybe used all of my capital up currently on a particular de- on a deal that I just did and another good one comes across and it, or it just doesn't fit in my buy box. And so I always get a little bit frustrated when I have to, but um, when on, on the, the deals that I either don't have enough capital for at the time or mm-hmm. that just don't fit my buy box, buy box then I reluctantly um, assign those to someone else. Yeah, we and that's a challenge too, from the standpoint answering your question again, as far as finding when you're assigning, uh, finding real buyers, finding true quality and buyers who are going to follow through and and uh, and complete the contract. Of course, that's all. It can be a challenge too. Yeah, and and um, yeah, like whether they're going to close, right? Um, yeah, I think the the big thing f- for me was realizing that it's not professional buyers like you're going to be dealing with the hobbyists because you're selling down you know when you're at volume and when you have assistance and you're at scale with your wholesaling business you're selling down to people who haven't done the work to build that out otherwise they wouldn't be at your wholesale meeting they wouldn't be on your email list because they'd be blasting out their own email you know we used to have a rule one and three you know keep one uh one of three and move two so that you're always boiling down the the best stuff for yourself now that that can be, you know, maybe a a pipeline thing where you maybe don't have uh, as many deal flows as that. So when you're the question I have, and without you know spilling the beans, what are you doing that um, you're finding effective in today's real estate wholesaling economy? What what is it that's your silver bullet these days? Because it's always yeah. Cheap. I mean, I yeah. I'm new to it. So um, I have not tried everything, right? I have tried direct mail. Mm-hmm. It works, but it is expensive. Yeah. It takes time. It is a long-term uh, thing, which I think I'm going to dive back into. I'm not doing that currently, but I think I'm going to dive back into that. But I'm personally having the most success uh, utilizing social media. 
um, oh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, um, getting on Facebook Marketplace, having people research that, um, running Facebook ads specifically. Well, you're um, buying having, like kind of nicer, not broken things, right? I'm sorry. You're not, you're not hunting the ugly houses like we were talking about before the show. Because the challenge I've always had, and and maybe you could speak to this, is the people with ugly, broken houses don't have internet. Like they don't have, they <laughs> maybe they don't even have a cell phone. Like they're on a flip phone. Like how how do you reach that person with your Facebook ad? Like sure. they don't even have Facebook. You know. <laughs> well, so let me like, be clear. I'm thing. trying to bring in everyone right that I can. Yeah. But I'll but take do down an ugly down house. To those, how do you? How are you getting down to like the the worst of the worst? Yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm still reaching the worst of the worst through Facebook. I think I think even the worst of the worst still have a smartphone in their pocket nowadays. Yeah. Right? Sometimes they can go to the, like the local coffee shop and get on the Wi-Fi. And... <laughs> so, but you're right. I might not be getting as many of those as possibly I could from another angle. Um, but I do like uh, how on social media, for example, you can kind of turn that on. You can turn the dial up on your ad spend. You can turn the dial down on your ad spend immediately. How loud you want it to be. Right. And yeah, you, you, you can, you can, you have a lot of immediate control over it. And as opposed to something like direct mail, and I know there's so many other different ways to do it, but just since we brought up that topic, unlike direct mail, for example, when you put all that out, it might be, uh, you know, a couple of weeks, couple of months, even before you start really getting that flow in, whereas mm -hmm. social media seems kind of more instantaneous, yeah, which is nice. Form pops up and they, and they submit their phone number or whatever, right? right. Or they go to the, the funnel page. So, <laughs> and then of course, so really for me, it's a combination of uh, utilizing social media um, and getting those ad, those forms and such come in like yourself. And then some just cold outreach. I prefer though, I prefer having leads come into me, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not mm -hmm. a, like most people. I'm not a big fan of jumping on the phones and cold calling and such all days. Um, but I, a little bit of that also kind of jump on prop stream, put in the stuff that I'm looking for and reach out to specific homes that um, I'm interested in. So for me now, I'm looking for those deals that that uh, obviously one of the reasons to go direct to seller is because I do it truly, I believe, increases your cash on cash returns, right? You're just getting better deals. Oh, yeah, you're getting a better deal. You're cutting out the you're cutting out the middleman. You're not paying the wholesaler fee or getting down to it and you can be true about your number. Like I need it for this. And you're talking right to the person and they're like, well, you got to yeah. pay more. Say, no, I need it for this because of that. <laughs> exactly. It cuts out all the fat. And then when you do assign one, right, then you've got the wiggle room there and there. You can treat your buyer well, of course. Um, but I think also for me, I'm getting to the point here soon where I'll probably start reaching out for private money capital to help scale and if I'm going to do that, uh, you know, reputation is everything in this business, honesty and transparency. And I'm a numbers guy. And if I'm going to go and ask anybody for any type of capital on any deal, it's got to be a smoking slamming deal. Right. Mm -hmm. And if it's if I if I'm going to get those, then I need to go direct to seller to get those. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's it's that's not to say that you can't negotiate something on market. But the reality is, you know, the, the vast majority of the most profitable deals come from a good, solid negotiation with the seller you know, directly to really like, and it's not so much just the MLS that makes it bad. It's just that when you can deal with the seller directly, you can be more transparent between the two of you as to what you really want and what I really want and negotiate a lot harder without the agents going back and forth and 
play in these things. It's just like, you want to sell, I want to buy. This is what I want to, you want to sell for this. I want to buy for that. So. Absolutely. And I think it makes sense nowadays for me, especially I've been doing concentrating more on finding those creative type of deals, right? Mm -hmm. We just went under contract. Uh, this is a good example because I like to buy those. You mentioned it. I like to try to buy the nice houses if I can. Right. So I uh, found a, a gentleman who recently who has a, a beautiful Airbnb cabin up in Georgia mm -hmm. uh, that we went under contract on. And I was really was going to keep it. I'm, I'm ending up assigning that deal. Um, but it's a beautiful, you know, 2,500 square foot active Airbnb up in the mountains. And but it, this deal made sense. It was a good deal for him. It has to work both ways. Right. It's got to be a good mm -hmm. deal for him. It's got to make sense for him. It's got to make sense for me, too. But this is a great example of that. Like I look for, I've been looking really hard for these types of deals where um, people might maybe purchased an Airbnb, uh, you know, last year and a half, maybe two years. They've got a great interest rate because they probably bought it at three and a half percent down at the time. Um, and this guy's a perfect example of it. Him and his wife bought a few of them. He is a long-term rental guy and a mm. midterm rental guy. And then him and his wife decided to dabble in the short-term rental and just didn't like it, which is a pretty mm. common story, right? Just didn't yeah. like the extra effort of it, et cetera. But they only bought a year and a half. They're running a hotel, right? So yeah, it's, it's a hospitality business. It's a whole different thing. And I've got a couple of them, like I get it, right? Um, and they're mm -hmm. profitable if you do them right, but they do take some extra effort, especially if you're managing themselves. So they were managing them themselves, didn't like it, but now look, now he's he's only had it for uh, you know a year and a half. Hasn't built up a bunch of equity, right? Just bought it a kind of like off the MLS and et cetera. But he's got a great interest rate, so I can come in. Um, it's going to be it's a subject to deal, so I can come in. Uh, he's fine with me taking the project or uh, the property over subject to mm -hmm. pay him pay him some cash down. He gets a much higher. Uh, purchase price than he ever would selling it on the MLS. So it works out great yeah. for him, works out great for us because we we can't go and get that same deal, of course, right now. You'd pay eight and a half percent and the deal actually wouldn't work. So even this type of stuff, working with another savvy, intelligent investor, they get it. It makes perfect sense to say, hey, I can go to the bank right now and get buy this cabin from you at eight and a half percent, but it won't work. It won't cash flow. But if you let me take yeah. your loan, it works. Yeah, the, the creative financing is definitely emerging. And, you know, if the banks don't start correcting their uh, lending, people might start realizing that they don't actually need the bank. And that might be bad business for the bank. You know, yeah, it's, it's the easiest loan you can get. But if you're listening at home, it's not the only loan you can get. In fact, you can get better loans from the homeowners that are getting that you, know, you can recycle that loan that that person got a couple of years ago. And um, yeah, it's emerging like crazy yeah. because that's a way to keep, because they had cash flow and they bought it. And if you stay on that interest rate, you can maintain the cash flow. So tell, tell me about your, your capital raising. You know, you've, you've bought a number of things and you're, you're doing the vendor financing. There's still a little bit of cash that you need to take over uh, seller financing. Usually there's some sort of little down payment or whatever. It's a lot less than, having to qualify and bringing 20% to the bottom line. What have yeah, you done the, so far uh, to get capital into, into your business? It's a great question. I really probably need to get in and talk to you guys more about that. Quite frankly, um, the I've, we've been very fortunate to this point to be able to not to have to raise capital um, to yeah. be able to take down all of the properties ourselves and not bring in any JV partners or even private money, et cetera. 
Um, I can see really quickly that uh, with the amount of deals that are starting to come in, that it's something I need to consider heavily and probably start talking to people about um, and probably start raising some capital in that aspect. But no, I haven't had to go down that route yet, um, but it's coming, <laughs> I guess yeah, in a good it's way, like it's coming very soon. Everyone. Everyone yeah. who starts in real estate, they're like, I don't need, I don't need any uh, private capital. I don't need any capital. I don't need any capital. I don't need any capital. Oh, I'm out of capital. <laughs> so then, you know, I always say to people like, you might not need it now, but just like an assistant, when do you need a virtual assistant? Um, six months ago, like yes. not when you need them to do something, but you know, a few weeks or months before you actually need to count on them to do something. Cause I like what you said when you started your, your direct to seller marketing and the, the, the wholesaling campaign, you didn't just simply, cause the, the, the average mindset, the, the main mindset is like, I'm going to do everything myself. I'm going to do all the stuff. I'm going to go and scrape the databases and da, 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 da. But you'll notice that wholesaling businesses that are doing any sort of volume or doing any sort of like success have virtual assistants inherently in it because there's a lot of repetitive scraping of prop stream to get the five phone numbers out of there like yes no. i can do that yes Rhett can do that should we be doing that against what our what our skill set is and can we leverage a virtual assistant in in you know pakistan or the philippines or whatever where you know, the, our currency can go a little bit further in the same tasks, you know, with the internet collapsing the, the, the global workforce in the way that, you know, virtual assistants can really help scale your business for not a lot, but people don't want to spend the money. They're like, ah, I want to keep all the money, the fist of greed. I can't put $5 out there. I got to keep this $5 <laughs> and do everything myself. But what's interesting, and my mentor said this, he's like, when you close your hand so tightly on money, you can't also receive money. So the virtual mm -hmm. assistant, you open your hand and currency can now flow through your hand. So it's, uh, you know, it's likely that that strategy, maybe you're not aware that you're doing that, but you are doing that in that you're involving, you know, you're not holding all the thing. It's the old, do you want a whole grape or half a watermelon? And when you think about the capital raising, that's really where the thing comes in. It's like, okay, you've done really well um, acquiring without bringing any partners in. Cause usually the, the main thing is like, I don't trust myself to handle other people's money. I'm nervous about it. I'm not sure if I can, I probably can, but what happens if I don't, you're already servicing mortgage debt. That's we're in the business of servicing mortgage debt. So don't be afraid of handling other people's money. Cause the bank's money is also other people's money. When you put your money in the bank, what do you think they're doing with it? They're giving it to Rhett for his next property. So um, it's true. It's just it like direct to you... seller. You know, like we can have great negotiations with private capital, um, just the same way as we can have great negotiations with private sellers and better money and better negotiations and better terms by just going direct to capital instead of directly to the bank. So, um, you know, if you're on if you're on that journey, there's lots of resources for people living, listening at home. DavidDebo.com. There's lots of stuff to check out. We've got tons of free resources and things like that to really help you collapse the timeframes on capital. And um, have you 
have you used other people's capital at all? Has it always been your own? Your bootstrap? No, and I think you hit on a, it's always been my own. I think you hit on a good point because I, you know, I think when you start using other people's capital, I do believe there's a even higher fiduciary responsibility there, right? Um, I would never, ever use anyone else's capital on a deal that I would just wasn't, didn't feel 100% comfortable with. And, you know, it, uh, your reputation, I think, is everything in this business. So that's one of the reasons why I switched over to to pull the trigger and uh, do the direct seller stuff that we've been talking about, because I know I can get better margins. And if I can get better margins that way, which I am, now I feel more comfortable where I know I can bring in someone uh, on a private money lending side or a JV deal or whatever, and the deal still works, right? So I've gotten to that point now where I'm able to feel, all right, number one, you do enough deals where like, okay, I kind of got this figured out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is working. I'm confident with it. Uh, I've got all my systems in place. Everything's kind of cruising along like butter. Uh, not that there's not issues because there's always issues, but you learn how to handle those along the way. And I think once you get that confidence level up, you got your mm-hmm. systems down, you've got plenty of deals under your belt. And then you not, not only that, not only do you get that confidence, but then of course you can be able to go to these uh, other you know investors who might be willing to uh, lend you their capital and say like, Hey, look, here's the deal. Here's the exact numbers. We just did one, the same thing a month ago. It's working out great. It was just, we're just yeah, turning the key the, on another one. Here's the spreadsheet. This is, you know, there's no guarantees, of course, but this should be exactly what it does. And and now that I've gotten to the point where I feel comfortable with that, now I think it's time where um, where I'm okay with reaching out to people to help scale that up. But certainly before that point, you know, I want to make sure I have all, had all my ducks in a row, which I do now. Yeah. One, one thing my mentor used to say is money is an idea backed money is an idea backed by confidence. The dollar bill is not money unless it's the the idea that we're all transacting this currency and we're all confident in this currency. If someone gave you some like peso or some sort of like weird European Union currency, you'd be like, well, what am I going to do with this? Like, is someone even going to take this money? So it's like money truly is an idea plus confidence equals money because if the people don't have confidence in the idea that is the american dollar it's it all it all starts to fundamentally collapse like it becomes worthless so same thing with our business you know your idea is your house your confidence in your ability to execute this airbnb or this pad split the money will be attracted to the idea and the confidence so you're already on the cusp of it it's just a matter of you know the next thing would be executing the plan and and really scaling it out. So if people want to invest with you, they want to reach out to you, they want to, you know, find out what what you're all about and what you're up to, how do they find you? What should they do? Sure. Well, I'm old, right? I'm 50. Hey, so man. I'm still That's on That's the new 40, so don't don't worry <laughs> about it. I'm still on Facebook. Uh you can find me on Facebook just my name. It's uh you know, Rhett Will Rhett R H E T T. Uh, Rhett Wilgers on Facebook. Uh, the my investing business is Cozy Dog Homes. Uh, you can also find that on Facebook. I think I have an old Instagram page out there, but uh, um, I pretty much scroll Instagram, but I'm not using it much no, for no business MySpace purposes. No MySpace page then. No MySpace page anymore. <laughs> no, no my, <laughs> no MySpace page anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, my AOL.com is a Gmail or uh, email is is, is past, so I'm a little bit past that, but I'm still <sighs> stuck on Facebook. 
I was just going to send you an email too, Red. Oh, well, I guess I'll <laughs> I do have a website Facebook. out there, cozydoghomes.com. You can find that too. There you go. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate yeah. your time. And um, yeah, I think people are going to get a lot out of the episode. I really appreciate it, Red. Well, I hope so. I hope people feel uh, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I, you know, I remember going through those uh, analysis process phases and just trying to figure things out and feel what's right to me. So I hope people will feel free to uh, reach out if they're having any issue with that. And I'll try to push you off the cliff. <laughs> yeah, get you, <laughs> get, in, you going. get you in the game. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, until next time, guys, we'll check you on the next episode. All right. Thanks, Bryce. Great talking to you. Thank you.